الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا ومن سيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له اشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله اللهم صل على محمد وعلى ال محمد كما صليت على ابراهيم وعلى ال ابراهيم انك حميد مجيد اللهم بارك على محمد وعلى ال محمد كما باركت على ابراهيم وعلى ال ابراهيم في العالمين انك حميد مجيد اما بعد with the subject having the family and the children this is definitely something that is an essential thing in our deen not an optional thing not something that we can have some knowledge about it or maybe not no this is something that is mandatory for us to know and the reason for that is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentioned verses in the Qur'an, revealed Qur'an to the Prophet والسلام, with regards to families and children. There are verses in the Qur'an that talks about marriage, verses that talks about divorce. This is not an easy thing. This is something that we need to exalt and to ponder over it. This is how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created us and we're tested with every relationship in our life with everything in our life, everything that we meet, anything that we interact with, this is meant to be this way by the qadr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, by the wisdom of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, whether we will uh, do what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants from us, or the opposite. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala also says in the Quran, Ya ladina amanu, ku anfusakum wa ahlikum naran, wa nasu al hijab. O you who believe, shield yourself and your families, not just yourself, and your families, a blazing fire. Its fuel is men and stones, men and, few, and, and stones. So this is definitely something that is part of our religion and we need to get the knowledge of it and to have the sabr and the bravery so that we apply what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants from us. Uh, the subject of steadfastness, just uh, briefly, if uh, some maybe didn't attend the, the Jumu'ah, Al-istiqama or steadfastness, something that every time we see in the Qur'an, as-salat al-mustaqim, this is what is meant. And it's mentioned in the Qur'an in many verses, one of which Surah Al-Fatiha. Surah Al-Fatiha is the most important surah, is the most virtuous surah in the Qur'an. That means in it is the most important and the most virtuous dua whatsoever. And in it is ihdin as-salat al-mustaqim, guide us to the straight path. So if we really want to know what is the most important thing in our life is to be guided to the straight path that is connected this life to the hereafter to the final destination which is the Jannah of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala it's only one path. And the Prophet gave a beautiful example and this hadith in Muslim Imam Ahmad and others and this is for ourselves and our families and our children to make sure that we don't slip away. He said, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave the example of sirat mustaqim, path that is straight. And on both sides of the path or the sirat mustaqim, there are two walls on both sides. And in these two walls, abwabun maftuha alayha sutur murkhah. And on these two walls on both sides of the Salat, there are open doors. And these doors are covered by a curtain. So it's not by a gate, it's by curtains. And there's a collar in the beginning of the Salat, 
wada'i and another color in the midst of the salat. If a person, the color in the, in, the, in the beginning of the salat is telling to the people, halummu, udkhulu, wala tu'awajju, enter the salat and don't bend from it, stay on the straight path. And the one in the midst of the salat is telling them, do not open the curtains, because if you open it, you will enter it. Right? You understand the example, right? The Prophet ﷺ then said, the salat is al-Islam. The straight path is al-Islam. And the caller in the beginning of the salat is the Qur'an. The Qur'an is calling the people to be steadfast on the salat. And the two walls are hududullah, the limits of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That is not permissible for a person to transgress. We're supposed to walk on the salat and not to take a left or right. And the doors that are open are maharimullah, the things that are haram. Right? And the one that is calling in the midst of the salat, wa'idullahi fi qalbi kulli muslim, is the reminder from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the hearts of every Muslim. And see, and the example is mentioned very precisely. When a person is already on the salat, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala guided him to the religion of Islam. He is not, this is not enough for him. He needs to have another guidance. So it's two forms of guidance. Guidance to be a Muslim, and another guidance to be steadfast on the Salat. Because the shaitan does not leave us alone. But the, the point is, when the person is on the Salat, right, the, the thing is, open. do not open the curtains. He did not tell him, do not enter the doors, do not fall from the Salat and go to the doors of Haram. No, the, the, the talk was, or the call was, do not open the curtain. Do not even attend to do this because once you do this you cannot protect yourself you fall you go into what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala forbade so that means this uh, being steadfast on the salat al mustaqim when it's on both sides there are all means of desires and as the Prophet والسلام, said in the authentic hadith in another uh, narration uh, that it's instead of hujibat huffat Hujibat means from hijab, that means it's covered, and hufwat in both sides. But the word hujibat, right, that means it's covered, it's a seal between the people and Jannah. What is this seal? What this cover is? The cover is the shahawat, the desires, uh, the, the, the dislikes, al-makarih, the dislikes. So that means, and the hellfire is covered by the desires. So as Ibn al-Qayyim, rahimahullah, he gave a beautiful example in this. He said, if a person wants to look at Jannah, imagine that we can see Jannah in this life. So if he wants to raise his head and to see the end and the final destination, if this was meant for us to have in this life, the matter becomes so easy, right? It doesn't matter what the Salat is. If you can see your final destination and it's Jannah, where there's no eyes have seen, no ears have heard, no hearts have imagined, it doesn't matter whether a person is walking on thorns or holes or uh, things that are pleasant or not pleasant, the heart will be Attached to the final destination won't feel nothing while he's walking onto uh, these stores and these uh, pits and so on, right? But this is not the way of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We're created to believe in the unseen. So the Jannah, if somebody wants to see it in this life, if he would look, he would see the cover of it, which is the dislikes. Do this, do not do this, this is halal, this is haram, and so on. So how can a person enter Jannah? He has to break this hijab. He has to go through this hijab. Right? He has to go through fulfilling the orders of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. 
And on the other hand, if a person wants to see the hellfire, if people see the hellfire, they would run away from it. Nobody would dare even to do anything that would make the person close to it. But the problem is when people look into the hellfire, they see desires and things that is adorned to them. Right? So they would tend to fall into breaking the seal because of their immediate desire that they are doing and they're seeking without looking ahead of what's after this. So the benefit of the wahi, the benefit of the revelation from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the Qur'an and the sunnah of the Prophet that we get to know the unseen. So then we would make a decision so that we are steadfast on the Salat al-Mustaqim and enduring patience and seeking the help from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala till the person reaches final destination in peace inshallah and it's by the mercy of Allah that the path to Jannah is not always this light this is for someone looking at it from far away distance right he would see these people why they're depriving themselves and why this and why that but when he get to speak to these people on that path they would say we feel, we feel bad for you not for ourselves we're enjoying it right and the real joy is when a person knows how it feels to commit a sin and how it feels to be obedient to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and to choose to be obedient to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is the real person that you ask, right? Not someone that never tasted the sweetness of an iman. Everybody knows how it feels to, uh, whether it's sins related to women or to money. We have this in ourselves. We know how it feels. But when a person chooses to be otherwise and he would be steadfast and he would taste the sweetness of an iman, this is the one that to be asked which one is more uh, sweeter and definitely the sweetness of an iman. When we talk about our families and our children, uh, it's not something about a specific knowledge that we learn from uh, social uh, you know, um, knowledge and things like this. It's from the Quran and the Sunnah of the Prophet. We need to make sure that we apply what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed in the Quran and the way of the Prophet. And the steadfastness needs submission willingly that we submit ourselves to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the way of the Messenger sallallahu and knowing before we do anything the importance of knowledge because if we're ordered to submit what if we submit to something that is wrong right then that becomes very dangerous so we have to make sure that what we're submitting ourselves to willingly is the truth and the truth is this deen was not invented or people discovered the Qur'an and the Sunnah under the ground hundred years ago and they try to interpret it their own way. Like some people trying to do this to the deen, change in the deen of Islam by interpreting the deen the way that they like, the way they desire. No, this deen was practiced in the most perfect way at the time of the Prophet at the time of the Khulafa al-Rashidin, right? So this is what we need to follow. That's what the Prophet said, this is what me and my companions are on today. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the Qur'an, He made it so clear that we have to be one of three categories. We cannot be a fourth category if we're seeking the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He said, وَالسَّابِقُونَ الْأَوَّلُونَ مِنَ الْمُهَاجِرِينَ وَالْأَنصَارِ وَالَّذِينَ اتَّبَعُوهُمْ بِإِحْسَانِ رَضِيَ اللَّهُ عَنْهُمْ وَرَضُوهُمْ These are the three categories. السَّابِقُونَ The foremost among the muhajirin. We cannot be among the muhajirin. The matter is finished. It's over. This is the qadr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He chose the Sahaba radiallahu anhu. Nobody can come into that level. And wal-ansar, the people of Al-Madinah. We cannot be among the Ansar. Right? But then the third category is spacious enough that the whole Ummah can be on in this third category, which is wal-ladhina tabauhum, but with this heavy condition, bi-ihsan. And those who follow them with ihsan. 
followed them with goodness. Allah is pleased with them and they are pleased with him. So this is the way in a very simple terms. And is it feasible for us to do this? Yes, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala saved this religion. And when we look into the examples of the companions of anhum, for us to just get an idea about the level of the Sahaba anhum, when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala chose them to be the companions of the best men ever walked in the face of earth, uh, the look just one look to the Prophet ﷺ is worth this whole dunya and whatever a person has in it. And the evidence of that, this is not just exaggerating our feelings, this is fact. As the Prophet ﷺ, which is an authentic hadith in Surah Al-Majah and others, where the Prophet ﷺ said, إِنَّ مِنْ أَشَدِّ أُمَّتِ حُبًّا لِي among the, the most of my ummah, those who love me, Unasun Yatuna Badiya, Tamanna Lwahidominhum, Lawyarani bi ahli yumal, awkamakala sadhusa. Which means among those who love me the best of my ummah, those who would come after me, one of them would wish to see me, not to live with me. He would wish to see me, Lawyarani. Bi ahli yumal. He would wish to see me by his family and his wealth. That means he would give up all of his family and all of his wealth just to see the Prophet ﷺ. So this is something that you will see how the Sahaba they saw the Prophet ﷺ. They, uh, he talked and they looked at him and they listened to him. Uh, he would pray and they would pray behind him. He would say, They would say, What is level can a person reach this level? And when Abdullah ibn Mubarak, uh, uh, somebody asked him, who is more virtuous? Mu'awiyah uh, ibn Abi Sufyan, and he was a companion of the Prophet or Umar ibn Abdul Aziz. Umar ibn Abdul Aziz was a rightly uh, Khalifa. He's not from the four, right? But some of the ulama, they wanted to make him among the Khulafa al-Rashidin because at his time, things were so like, exactly like it was at the time of the uh, Abu Bakr, Umar, Uthman Ali. He was very just, very pious and righteous and so on. So he was someone that is very virtuous. But he was not a companion. He did not see the Prophet So the answer from Abdullah ibn Mubarak, rahimahullah, was that the dust that was in the nose of Muawiyah, radiallahu is better than Umar ibn Abdul Aziz. That does not belittle Umar ibn Abdul Aziz, right? But it shows the level of the companions, radiallahu Right? And this is why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made it obligatory for us to follow their way. And their way was not invented, their way was the way of the Prophet. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala was pleased with them. The Prophet died when he was pleased with them. So we have the practicality of the deen of Islam and how to be steadfast on the deen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. To sum up the matter of steadfastness in our families and the details of that is basically applying the deen of Islam. As we said, our hearts, the hearts of our families, the hearts of our children, and their speech and their actions. And the way that a person is steadfast is to have one word, and that is a sidq. It's to have truthfulness. A sidq is to be truthful. And many of us, when we talk about sidq, sidq to us is just when we speak to others, we need to be truthful. This is just one part of sidq. We can summarize the whole deen of Islam in many different ways, but one of which is that we need to be among the sadiqeen, among those who are truthful. What does that mean? It means that 
our hearts with whatever situation we are in is sincerely for the sake of Allah. Everything is sincerely for the sake of Allah. And we do the best we can according to what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants from us. If the tongue, any word that we say as Muslims, there's no word that comes out of our mouth unless we truly, truthfully saying it, that's basically the end of everything. This is what would make us, by the will of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, steadfast on the truth. And the same way, we should raise our families and our children to be not just truthful, to speak the full truth. What does that mean? We say many things in the day and the night, right? We say many, many things. If we just focus on what we say in our salah, if we are truthful in what we say in the salah, that's it. Our days and night and everything will be fixed according to what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants from us. And this is how the Sahaba radiallahu anhum, they were very truthful. When they said Allahu Akbar, they meant it. It was not uh, just words to be said. The adhan, when they said it or when they heard it, when they repeat after the mu'adhan, which is the sunnah as we know, that the mu'adhan is to be repeated. People to repeat after the mu'adhan. And the Prophet said, if the mu'adhan says Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar, you say Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar, and so on. And then at the end you say, Ashhadu an la ilaha illallah, Ashhadu anna Muhammadan abdu wa rasul. And then you say, Allahumma salli ala Muhammad wa ala Muhammad, the, the, the second part of the tashahud, and then Raditu billahi rabba wa bil islami deena wa Muhammadin sallallahu alayhi wa sallam in the reen wa rasula. Then Allahumma rabba hadi da'at tamma wa salati al qa'ima ati Muhammadan masilatan fadila till the end. If the adhan we mean every word we say, and we teach our children and raise them to mean every single word of the adhan, this is a, it's a life-changing. Allahu Akbar is not... The adhan nowadays becomes like an alarm clock. Right? It's making a noise. This is the time for the salah. Adhan is like... It's not like this. Right? The Prophet ﷺ, as you know the story of the adhan, it was not a bell. Right? It's not just about informing the people the beginning time of the salah. It has words. has a dialogue. That you hear and you say something. And there is a reward as a result of this. And it's this interaction... That has to be, we have to be very truthful when we say it. That it's not just the tongue, it's the tongue and the heart and we have to be on the same stem. And I'm translating that from Arabic, I'm not sure if this is correct to say that in English. Right? When everything on the same stem, your speech, our actions, our deeds done by the heart, it is not in branches, it's all in the same piece. Everything on the same line. It's not going this here and there. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, مَا جَعَ اللَّهُ لِرَجُلُ مِنْ قَلْبَيْنِ فِي جَوْفِ he did not make a man two hearts in his heart. It's only one heart. But sometimes as if we have more than one heart. One heart when we're in the masjid, one heart in the school, one heart at work, one heart in the stores. It should be only one heart and one tongue and the different parts of our bodies, everything on the same face. So Allahu Akbar is a way of life. Allah is the greatest. So when a person is busy doing whatever he's doing, once he hear Allahu Akbar, when it's time for the adhan, that means Allah is the greatest. This is better and greater than whatever we are busy with. So, uh, when we raise our children, we're not going to tell them, hey, my son, come here, I will raise you now. It doesn't work this way. It's by actions, by our speech and our actions. And if we say that we want them to be steadfast on the deen of Islam, what do we do when we hear Allahu Akbar? Many of us, we have the clocks at home that gives the adhan or computer. Of course, this is not the real adhan. This is not the adhan that you say behind the mu'adhan. But anyway, we, some people, they have it, which is a good thing in this environment, to be reminded of the adhan. To be reminded of the salah, they need to hear this. It's a really uh, a very deficient thing for them when they don't hear the adhan. This is their rights. And we are depriving them from the rights of being able to listen to the adhan. 
that then is meant to be said outside of the masajid so that people would hear it and come to the salah. So when this is something that is not attainable in many of the cities in the United States, then where is our responsibilities to do something so that our children, they relate to the adhan, and this is just one thing. So if they hear it, that means this is the time of the salah, the most important thing in their day and the night, the thing that they have been created to do, this is the main thing, then everything stops at the time of the salah. Not that we're continuing with our worldly affairs and even the homeworks or whatever, everything stops. Aisha she said, the Prophet he used to be in whatever the man do at his home, helping his family. Prophet would sew his clothes and help his family and milk the, the, the goat and the sheep and so on. But when the Salah time comes, when the Salah time comes, as if we do not know him and he does not know us. As if he's a total diff- totally different person. Why? Because he's concerned, focused about the, the, the message of his life, the purpose of his life. Is it our purpose of our life to establish the Salah? Yes. There's an authentic hadith. It's an amazing hadith. Really this hadith, if we remember it at all times and we keep it as our way of life, it would set straight our goals and means in this life. Prophet said, this is Muslim Imam Ahmad, it's hadith Qudsi and it's an authentic hadith. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, إِنَّ الْمَالِ We brought down al-mal, wealth, to establish the salah. Not the other way around. Right? That means anything that we do, this wealth that we accumulate, work, anything of our own benefit, why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made life the way we, we have today, at all times, is to establish the salah. This sets the goals and the means very clear to us. So when we work, why do we work? And this is something that we need to raise our children to understand this. Why do they go to school? Why do they learn? Why do they need to do their homework? Why do they need to be successful in this life and to make money? There's nothing wrong with that. But why? For what reason? For them to be healthy and wealthy and so on. And then what? And then Allah when everybody or when anyone would die, is this is what life is, is all about. Just to eat and to drink and to be happy and then a person dies and then enter the hellfire. This is not the purpose of life. All of these things in this life has no value whatsoever unless we establish the salah. If we establish the salah, then everything has meanings to it. And establishing the salah will make us establish the whole deen by the will of Allah. Not just the salah. Manners and beliefs and interactions and relationships and all that supposed to be fixed by the salah. But the point is, nothing would have a value. So if a person is the most successful and he is the most wealthy and healthy and so on and so forth and the most decent in his manners and dealings and so on, but he does not establish the salah, all of these things has no value. Unless a person establishes the salah, as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said in the Quran, the most important thing after the tawheed, what the hadith Qudsi says, in salah. So when we raise our children, if we just focus on raising the children, to give the importance to the salah, as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants from us. And having the truthfulness in every word that they say in the salah, that they mean it. That Allahu Akbar, yes, Allahu Akbar. So then when it's time for Fajr, we don't say, we feel bad for them, they have school in the morning, we should not wake them up for Salatul Fajr. Then we're contradicting ourselves. They need to wake up for Salatul Fajr. If they're seven years old, then they should wake up for Fajr. They are not to be punished if they miss the salah if they're seven. 
But the hadith of the Prophet said, Order your children to pray when they are seven years old. Order, Muru, order your children. So this is not an option for them. Right? And usually when they're seven, they love it so much. They have no problem. Even if they wake them up for Fajr prayer and you prepare them before that, you're about to be seven years old. You have to go to the masjid, you have to pray, and of course, if the parents are not doing this, and how the children would do it. So they would get they would love it really when they're in that age. They like to imitate their parents and so on. So uh, the Prophet said that. So if the parents are not making the children pray when they're seven years old, not by force or by feed, usually it never works this way. It works with uh, means of ease and the children, again, they love it so much. It's not, you don't have to force them because they would uh, go along with it. And then the Prophet you hit them, you punish them when they're 10 years old. If they miss it, then they are, there's no excuse for them. Why? Because for three years, they did not miss a salah. So then when it comes to 10 years old, it's become part of them. Right? So the, the point is, and that's as the ulama, they say, if they miss the salah between 7 and 10, they're not responsible for their actions. Even at 10, they're not responsible for their actions until they reach the age of puberty. But the one that is responsible is the parents. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will question, it's a sinful act for the parents if they neglect their children when it comes to their salam when they're seven years old. And while we are teaching them by our actions and our speech, we show them the importance of the salam. That everything has no value if there's no salam. And if we do the salam, everything that we do, as long as it's permissible, it's great. There's nothing wrong with it. It's beautiful. As long as it's once the time for the salam comes, we leave everything for the sake of Allah. And we remind them always the hadith of the Prophet Actually, some said that this is not the words of the Prophet It's some of the words of the Sahaba and, uh, and others. So it's, the hadith is mawquf here. That whoever leaves something for the sake of Allah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would replace it by something better. Definitely. No doubt. And when we look at it, and this is again the uniqueness as human beings. We're given the intellectual abilities. And as we know that al-aq, or intelligence, if it's not there, the person is not responsible for his actions. Right? As the Prophet ﷺ said, four people, uh, in this hadith in Surah authentic hadith, four types of people will come in the Day of Judgment with an evidence with them. They have an excuse. One of them is uh, deaf, right? he did not hear anything during his life. One was old in age when the message came. One lived at the time of the fatra, there was no message, the message didn't reach him. And one was insane. He did not have the ability to think and to make decisions. So they would come on the Day of Judgment, Yudluna Bihujja, they would say, the, the, the one that is deaf, he would say, Oh Allah, I did not hear the message. And the one that was very old, he said, the message came to me when I was very old, I could not comprehend it. And the one that was uh, lived without the message reaching him, he said, the message, message didn't reach me. And the one that was insane, he said, as the hadith says, that the only thing that he remembered, all I remember is that the small children are throwing me with the, you know, with the dirt and things like this. Right? So, uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will take their excuses. And he would say, we'll take from them the covenants and the muathiq, the heavy covenants, like we are taken from us, the covenant in this life, that we would worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and so on. That he would send a messenger to them, and if a messenger come to them, they should obey him. Right? 
messenger in the day of judgment? Yes. The day of judgment is 50,000 years. So these people, a messenger will come to them. And the messenger, and some people when they read this hadith, they say, that's it. It doesn't sound like it's, you know, this is wahid from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because the hadith says, the messenger will come and he would order them to throw themselves into a fire. Whoever obeys him, this fire is, was a test only and they would enter Jannah. Whoever disobey him, right, they will be in the hellfire. Fire? Not the fire of hell, of course, they will be ordered to enter a fire. When you look at this, this is the whole test in the Day of Judgment, when we lived our life to be tested with every action in our life and so on. Uh, some people, they, the explanation of this, some people in this life, the obedience of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is like the fire. To them, is like, for me to do this and to establish the salah, it's like someone is telling them, go to the fire. Right? So the matter is like this, it's, we have to be tested, but the matter is not a fire or anything. It's not fire. This person that was ordered to throw himself to the fire, did he get burned by the fire? No, he would not be burned by the fire. The test was not in such a way, you understand, you understand the test here? The messenger did not, did, would not tell them, put yourself into the fire and they would be burned in the fire and then they would go to Jannah because they were successful in obeying him? No. They, it's just a matter of testing their submission and their obedience. But when they really go to that fire, it's not fire or anything. They will receive the pleasure of Allah, so there's no pain. The same thing when you look into this life, when you look and you sit and you look into the orders of Allah and my life and my job and my family and the environment and so on and so forth, for me to be steadfast on the deen of Islam, some people they see it as it's fire, it's torture. I will fall into so much pain, I will suffer so much, I will lose my money, I will lose my family, I will this and that, my wife will ask for divorce, the husband, you know, things like the shaytan is whispering. But in reality, you would never suffer anything. Just put your trust in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Be obedient to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Just first know for sure that this is the way of the Prophet sallallahu This is exactly what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants from us. It would never bring misery whatsoever. Like the way that people will be tested in the Day of Judgment. So, going back to the matter of truthfulness. The intelligence, which is basically manatid taklif, as the ulama they say. The taklif or the obligation is made based on the ability for us to make a decision of what's coming ahead. If we don't have these intellectual abilities, right, there is no responsibilities on us, right? So how can we not then, some people, they don't use this means of intellect, which is very simple and easy, that we would make a decision now for what's coming ahead. And one of which is again to be truthful, to, to, to raise the children that the most important thing to them is the deen of Allah. And the most important thing in the deen after the tawheed, the oneness of worship of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is to establish the salah. And if we really honest and truthful in every word we say in the salah, that's it. The whole life will be according to what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants from us because we would mean it when we say Surah Al-Fatiha and what's, what's in it in the praise of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Surah Al-Fatiha, Alhamdulillah Rabbil Alameen, it brings the love of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the heart because Alhamd means that he's the one that has the perfect names and attributes. Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim, subjecting ourselves to the mercy of Allah. He's the most merciful, subhanahu wa ta'ala. وَلَا يُنَالُ مَعِنْدَ اللَّهِ لَبِطَاعَتِهِ And for someone once the mercy of Allah is through his obedience. إِنَّ رَحْمَةَ اللَّهِ قَرِيبٌ مِنَ الْمُحْسِنِينَ That the mercy of Allah is close to those who are good doers. Malik Yawm brings the fear of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the heart because he's the owner 
of the Day of Judgment. This is the covenant. You are the one that we worship and you are the one that we seek help from. Then a, birth, a person being truthful, he would not turn around after this and uh, having the heart attached to other than Allah, seeking help from other than Allah. A child, yes, the Prophet ﷺ teaching Abdullah ibn Abbas and he was not into the age of puberty yet. The famous hadith teaching the young boy, Protect the orders of Allah, Allah will protect you. Protect the orders of Allah, you will find Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in front of you, with you, helping you, supporting you, and so on. If you ask, ask Allah. Do we teach and raise our children that they always ask their parents? Ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the one that is capable of making the hearts of your parents uh, to do this or the other. If you ask, ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. If you seek help, seek help from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because He's the owner of all things. And of course, when they see that in our actions and we teach them this, this is the real truthfulness to the extent of which even our words, the way we say things, we need to change the way we say things. It is not enough to say it's raining. That's true. We're not lying if it's raining, it's raining. But this is not the full truth because it's not raining by itself. It's not raining without a wisdom, without a reason. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the owner of all things. So when we say it's raining by the will of Allah, if we say Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent rain, this is the truth. But we, what, what did we do? We made remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. When our children would hear this all the time, when they are raised to understand this, there won't be such a thing as deen versus the dunya, because there's no separation. Everything is all for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. When we talk about Islamic education and the importance of it, this is one thing if we are successful in our schools, to speak the truth to our children as teachers and principals and so on, this is, mashallah, great. We don't even have to give them long lessons of deen, religion, and uh, matters of fiqh and aqidah. Of course, we have to do this. But when they are in the science session or math or whatever there is, instead of saying the mother nature and all of these types of things, right? The teacher would say, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created the atom in such a way. He just would say that. He's not going to give them a religious session. He's not going to teach them in the session or in the, in the period of science. He's not going to teach them fiqh matters in it. He's a science teacher, right? But he's saying the truth when he's teaching them. He would say, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created this. Brownian motion when the particles fall on the ground and it, they say that it has no... Uh, it's a, what, do you, what do you call it? Movement. The movement is what? Is they call, it's it's uh, the brown of the particles, right? It does not have a, a, a specific movement, right? No, we don't say that. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created it this way. If you throw a stone on, a, on some dust in the north or the south and anywhere, right, it would move in uh, straight lines but without a, a set shape. Who's the one that made this? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So just being uh, or speaking the full truth in anything we say, that's basically the deen of Islam. And comes with it, of course, the orders of the deen. What is halal? What is haram? Then they would not have this contradiction in their life. That the deen is this session of the deen. Then they go to this life, they meet others, they see things around them. Where is the deen in this? Right? We have to make everything. This is all the deen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this is how we make them uh, have the love of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the steadfastness on the deen of Islam. Anything good to them that happens from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. If something that they don't like, 
It's also from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala by the wisdom of Allah. It's meant to be this way. Turn to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone. But once they fall into contradiction, there's a very important statement. And that is, التناقض, uh, as Sheikh Sartari rahimahullah, he said this, التناقض, أول مراتب الفساد. Contradictions is the first level of facet, is the first step in corruption, is a person is contradicting himself, right? And this is the opposite of sidq. Sidq makes everything on the same face. Contradiction is, person says, La ilaha illallah Muhammadur Rasulullah, but then turns away and do intentionally, persistently something that is opposite to the outcome of one statement. Saying Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar, and then Work to him is more important and greater than Allahu Akbar, and things like this. Uh, telling our children who need to be steadfast on the deen and so on, but then when the time for salah, when the times of the orders of Allah, we relax the matter, right? When it's only a few minutes a day that a person is ordered to do these types of things. So, being truthful in anything, in any word we say, whether it's in the salah or our normal talk, right? The Prophet, والسلام, when he uh, saw someone, uh, or there was a woman that she was calling her child, right? And she was telling him that she would give him a date, piece of date. And the Prophet ﷺ said, if you don't give him, you're lying, right? So the parent does not ever, never lies to his child. If he promises something, he would fulfill his promise. They don't lie whatsoever. They don't lie when, for example, the phone rings or somebody knock on the door or something, he does not tell his child, tell him I'm not here. Right? He won't lie whatsoever. So when he doesn't lie, the child would be raised to see that everybody's speaking the truth. So why would he lie? So uh, raising them with our actions, with making them steadfast on the truth and the way of the Prophet ﷺ, and seeing the examples of the Sahaba and how they were so honest and truthful, in their affairs and in their speech and their actions, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala was pleased with them. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran, Inna al-abrara lafi na'im, wa inna al-fujjara lafi jahim, yaslawnaha yawm al-deen. Al-abrara, the righteous ones, they are in the light, right? And al-fujjara, the evil, the wicked and so on, they are in torture and torment and so on. But when the fujjara is mentioned, right, it says that their torment and their punishment they will taste it in the day of judgment. But he did not say that the abrar or the righteous ones, he did not say that they are in delight only in the hereafter. And that's why the abrar or the righteous ones, they are in delight in this life and in the hereafter. Right? The, the, the fujjar, the wicked ones, they might think that they are in some form of delight in this life. That's why the, this life is not life of punishment. The punishment is in the hereafter. So when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, in al-abrara la fi na'im, that means the one that is righteous, he is in delight, in this life and in the hereafter. And what is al-birr, which is the quality of al-abrar? The Prophet said in the authentic hadith, عَلَيْكُمْ بِالصِّدْقِ فَإِنَّ الصِّدْقَ يَهْدِي إِلَى الْبِرِّ عَلَيْكُمْ بِالصِّدْقِ When you say alaykum, right? You're saying ala is on top of something, right? This cup, ala, al-mindada uh, or kada, this cup is on the table, right? So alaykum bis-sidq, that means stay on top of the sidq. And when you're sitting on something, you're not leaving it. You're not on sidq once in a while. No, you're on it at all times. So he said alaykum bis-sidq, fa'inna sidq yahdi. The sidq indeed guides you to righteousness, to al-birr. 
which is, as we heard in the ayah, وَإِنَّ الْبِرَّ يَهْدِي إِلَى الْجَنَّةِ And righteousness will guide you to Jannah. وَلَا يَزَالُ الرَّجُلُ يَصْدُقُ وَيَتَحَرُّ الصِّدْقِ This is what we mean here. That the man will keep on being truthful. The Prophet ﷺ said something extra. وَيَتَحَرَّ الصِّدْقِ يَتَحَرَّ الصِّدْقِ means that he would make sure that he is truthful. He does not just speak the truth. He makes sure that he is extremely truthful. Right? So when he says the truth, he says the full truth, not just the truth. Till he is written by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as a Siddiq, as a truthful one. And the head of the Siddiqeen of this Ummah is Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu. And the opposite of that, that وَإِيَّاكُمْ وَالْكَذِبُ And beware of lying, because lying leads you to Al-Fujur. The same word mentioned in Surah Al-Infitar, in Al-Fujur. The, the Kadib, the lying leads to Al-Fujur, وَإِنَّ الْفُجُورَ يَهْدِي إِلَى النَّارِ and the fujur guides to the hellfire. And the person, the man will keep on lying. And he would make sure that he lies till he will be written among those who are the lied ones. Right? So a sidq is the one that leads to righteousness, righteousness, which is the whole religion of Islam. By just being righteous, but having the sidq. As Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, Bir is not to turn to the uh, east or the west, here's the birr, here's the righteousness that the sidq would lead the person to. Pillars of Iman. And to give from wealth to the needy and the poor and so on. Establish the salat. And those who fulfill the covenants. And those who are patient in times of ease and times of adversities and so on. This is all religion of Islam. Right? Then at the end of the ayat says, They are the truthful ones. So you see the relationship between Al-Birr and Al-Sidq. In the hadith of the Prophet in the verses in the Quran, right? this is righteousness, which is the quality of Sidq. Sidq leads the person to apply the whole deen of Islam once the person has this truthfulness. Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiallahu anhu he said, Man arada al jannah, falyasmud laha samdah. Whoever wants the jannah, wanting the jannah, we have to be truthful in our wants and our desires. Whoever wants the jannah, then he should, yasmud meaning, he should steadfast in it. He should not say, I want jannah, I want jannah, then he's not doing anything. It's like someone says, I want to build a building. Right? And he has all the means to build it. The bricks and the wood and the nails and the workers and the engineers and everything. And everybody's sitting on site every day and they're not doing anything. He says, Wallahi, I want to build it. Wallahi, I want to build it every day. You're not truthful. If you want to build it, go ahead and build it. Right? So the same thing when a person is just living his life wishfully thinking. I want to enter Jannah. I want to enter Jannah. But then we're not taking the means to enter Jannah. Then we're not being truthful. We're lying with our actions, right? So our actions has to be truthful to our belief. What is the benefit of what aqidah means? When we believe in something, that means we act according to what we believe. Even if it's something sunnah recommended, what does it mean to believe that two rak'ah after maghrib is a sunnah prayer? What does that mean? You believe that this is a rewardable act, right? Yes, <clears throat> if a person doesn't do it, he's not sinful. But you believe that if you do it, you get a good deed. So why should you leave it then? 
Right? If you believe that it's a good deed, then we would do it. Yes, it's not mandatory, but at the same time, we would do what is good. We would do what is recommended. If we believe that the salah is the second pillar of Islam, right? that means we have to do it. We have to apply it. Otherwise, we are not really being truthful. We're lying. We're lying with our speech and actions. They're not going together, contradicting our speech and our, and our actions. And that's really the worst mother that we, that we can give to our children and our families. And this is how the children should be raised. Uh, to make it brief, inshallah ta'ala, uh, in this environment or other environments, really the matter is serious. And we are responsible for the generations to come. Many people, they came from Muslim countries. They used to hear the adhan. They used to... Uh, their parents, the worst thing that they would fear for them is to be deviants in, in, a, in a way that they are not good Muslims and so on. But the identity as Muslims to be threatened from its roots, the people, after some generations, they won't be Muslims to start with. This is the fear that we have in environments like this. So that means it's the responsibility of the early generations to make sure that the later generations, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best, but we have to do the best we can. So the generations to come, they won't curse us, right? Because as you know, in the Quran talks about this. The later generations in the Day of Judgment curses the early generations because they are the ones that led them astray. So we need to take the means and the guidance is in the hands of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We have to make sure that the children are being raised in a balanced environment that is not too much contradictions in it so that they don't fall into this opposite of the truth thing. They hear the deen is one thing but they see that our actions is different and the environment that we choose to put them in is opposite to what we tell them and what they hear in Jumu'ah and what they see in the masjid. And this is something that a child, even a grown-up, cannot really bear these contradictions. He has to be pulled one way or the other. But to continue to live with these contradictions, it doesn't work this way whatsoever. So we need to make sure that the variables that we have in our life to the best of our abilities, especially when they are growing up, that they don't have these contradictions. The matter becomes on one pace, and that is our homes, the masajid, and the schools, if they go to school. If they're not homeschooled, then they go to school. What is the environment of the school? Is it opposite to what they hear in the masjid and at home? That's a problem. That's a major problem. And that's why when we have the problems with those who are teens and so on, it's because of this. The human beings, they don't like to be strangers, let alone being young person. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, we are called ins, right? Al-insan comes from ya'nas wa yunas. That means an insan is someone that he likes to be comfortable with others and people are comfortable with him. We are created to live in communities, in complex relationships. We're not isolated, we're not living in the jungle, each person in his own world. So as a result of this, people affect one another, people are you know, interacting with one another. And nobody likes to be or wish to be a stranger among the people. Needs a high level of al-iman. There's so much fitan and a person is steadfast. This needs a strong iman. But someone raised as a young person, we are basically asking them to do something that is over their capacity. So they have to fit in whatever environment that we put them in. So it's our responsibility. These are the things that we can control by the will of Allah. Our homes. Does anybody forcing us to make our homes corrupted and and, and evil and so on, nobody forces, right? So we make sure that our homes is, is decent, is correct. We don't have contradictions. 
Many of us, we have televisions at home. Television, as a television, is not haram by itself. But what are the children are watching? What they are doing, you know, with, their, with the internet and the social, uh, you know, things that they go through on Facebook and all these types of things. Are we making sure that we're monitoring these things so that they don't fall into matters of contradictions? And when we allow things that is not permissible to be in our home, they watch, uh, we allow them to watch, for example, movies or whatever, they see sins, they see kuf, they see even, even the cartoons that they, that they watch. Uh, you know, when, when, when things does not say, there's no music in it, right? This is not the whole thing. What is the content of, the content of things, right? Uh, where is the importance of the deen in it? What I'm saying is, if the cartoon for the government is saying about someone is playing or running or whatever, but where is the, where is the salah in this whole thing? Where is Allah in the whole thing? Right? Again, to them when they're watching this, this is dunya. Deen is coming later. Right? We're not saying that the, the whole the thing has to be deen, 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 like in the sense of ibadat and aqidah. No, but the livelihood, this is supposed to be part of the deen. That the word Allah is mentioned all the time. That people do the right thing, they don't do what is wrong. Right? You would find even in Islamic schools, the children sometimes because of the effect of what they watch, they talk about Mother Nature. I hear, that, I hear it all the time. Mother Nature, Mother Nature. Because they hear it all the time, Mother Nature. This is kufr. There's no such a thing as Mother Nature. Mother Nature doesn't do anything. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the owner of all things. Right? So making sure that how to secure our homes to make it not contradicting. And if you are in a Muslim country and your, your home is loose, and we're not saying that this is permissible, but maybe somebody in the street will teach your child something. He goes to the masjid because it's next door. Somebody will take him from there and raise him instead of uh, you raising him. But here, who else is going to take this responsibility? If it's not the home, then what else? So we have to have this responsibility. As one of the shiuch, he said, this is just some, a note on the side. Make sure, make sure that nobody teaches Surah Al-Fatiha to your child except you. Because he would read it every day, how many times, right? So get the rewards that every time he reads it for the rest of his life and when he teaches it to the generations to come, it's all by the mercy of Allah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the most merciful. Goes to the account of the one that taught him, right? From one generation to the other. So we should not waste our life. It's a great ni'mah to have children. And we should not waste this by making sure that they know the deen of Islam and again to put them in the right environment. So we secure our homes to be according to what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants from us. How to do this? The salah is established. The healthy home is, and really we have to uh, take extra measures. Even if you say salat al-jama'ah is not mandatory, I'm far away from the masjid. Uh, these are excuses. Yes, a person might not fall into a sin. But then, how can we raise our children in an environment there's no masjid? So when the ideal situation is the mother and the daughter, they pray at home. Once the beginning time of the salah, Nothing in this house would do anything but to be busy with the salah. Making wudu, getting ready. The importance they see there in the parents. That this is the most important thing. And the, the father, if he's not at work and he's at night at home, he comes to the masjid, takes his child with him if he's seven years old. Right? This is a part of the life. Right? The family is like this. And for the women, as the Prophet ﷺ said, when Asma bint Yazid, she came to the Prophet ﷺ in the long hadith when she said, that, I'm the representative of the women to you. They send me to uh, tell you something, O Prophet of Allah. 
and she complained, right, that the men they pray jama'ah with the Prophet and they go for hajj and umrah and jihad and so on, and the women, she said, we stay home, we fix their clothes and raise their children. She was complaining not that she wants to go out and, uh, and hang outside, she was complaining, saying, uh, what is for us as far as the rewards are concerned? She is concerned about the rewards. Are the men getting more rewards than us? The Prophet ﷺ was amazed by her speech, right? And he said, inform you, the women, those who sent you, that that the woman, when she's a good wife to her husband, right? That will give her all of this reward together. The woman, she was so happy that she turned around and she kept repeating the statement of the Prophet ﷺ. It will be equal to all of this reward. Equal to all of this reward. Their concern was the hereafter and the rewards. So the job of the wife and, and so on is to advise the husband. Right? If she goes to the masjid, she's getting the same reward. She, he takes the boys to the masjid and she prays with the girls at home. She's getting the same reward. The whole family is benefiting from this. It's a lifestyle that we have to have the patience in doing this. Fajr. Where is the Fajr and where is the Isha prayer in our life? And the Prophet Sallallahu when, when the child reads in the hadith, uh, the heaviest two salaf with the hypocrites is Fajr That if they know the rewards in them, they would come to them even if they have to crawl. Right? The Prophet does not exaggerate. He does not lie. He does not just say things to the people, yeah, let's go. There's no exaggeration in this. If the unseen is lifted, right, and people can see what is being prepared for them, they would come to the masjid even if they had to crawl because they can't walk. Right? So that's why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala ta'abbadana bil ghayb. We are worshipping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala by the unseen. So when the children, they see this and they practice this, right? And they read the hadith that whoever prays Salatul Fajr in jama'ah, فَهُوْ فِي ذِمَّةِ Whoever prays Salatul Fajr in jama'ah, is under the protection of Allah. He feels this, that he's under the protection of Allah. Right? Uh, and the details of this is needs series of lectures. How to make our homes according to what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants from us. And the other thing that we can control by the will of Allah is the masajid, the houses of Allah. MashaAllah, to have the masjid, having the message of the masjid. What's, what's the job of the masjid? The main thing, of course, is to establish the salah five times a day. And people coming to fill the masjid, not just to have it nice and built and so on. And then nobody comes to the masjid. What's the purpose of the masjid? It's for the name of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to be raised. في بيوتين أذن الله أن ترفع يذكر فيها اسمه يسبح له فيها بالغدو والأصال رجال لا تلهيهم تجارة ولا بيع عن ذكر الله. These houses of Allah that Allah gave the permission for it to be erected in it are men. They praise Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the morning and in the evening, meaning in the salawat. There is nothing would uh, take them away from the remembrance of Allah. No tijara, no trade, nor play would take them away from the remembrance of Allah. And the masajid, what was the masjid of the Prophet ﷺ? Was it just salat and then people you know, run away after that? Prophet ﷺ used to teach the, suha- the sahaba the wahi, the revelation from Allah. Big difference than li- from listening to a lecture on YouTube or whatever, or when you come to the masjid, your heart is prepared to take the proper knowledge for you to apply, to pray the salah, even if it's five minutes after the salah, we learn something new. Every day, if a day passes without learning an, a new ayah, a new hadith, it's really waste. How many verses in the Quran, right? And why our life is going day after another 
without getting to know what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants from us. Quran is the thing between us and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. As the Prophet said, he came one time and see how the Sahaba, they lived this. He came to them and he said, Abshiru, have the glad tidings, the great news. Not millions would be given or anything. He said to them, Al-Quran, why should you rejoice and be happy? Because the Quran has two ends. One end with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and one end with you. Whoever holds fast to it, he would never be led astray. This is what made them rejoice. Because really, if after this life, it's either Jannah or the Hellfire, the most important thing is guidance. So learning every verse in the Quran, Abdurrahman al-Sulami, from the second generation, he said, this is how we took the Quran from the Sahaba. How? He said, we used to take it 10 verses at a time. They would take 10 verses, they would read them. Doesn't have to be from 1 to 10 and 10 to 20, meaning a section. Some, you know, set of verses. They would read them. They would know the ruling of them. They would act according to them. And then they would go to the next ten verses. Umar radiallahu anhu studied Surah Al-Baqarah in eight years. Right? This is how the Qur'an, they lived the Qur'an. Right? And the Prophet as Aisha radiallahu anhu, she said, كَنَ خُلُقُ Quran. Where his manners was the Qur'an. Where are we going to learn this? In the Masajid. Five minutes every day, ten minutes. Right? Halaqa of Qur'an. Grown up and young and so on. And I know I'm taking too long here. Uh, I remember one person that was, because sometimes we say the children to memorize the Quran. But as far as us, we're grown up, no, it's too late for us. There's no such a thing as too late. There's no, nothing in the Quran. When the Sunnah said, memorization of the Quran is only for those who are young. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَلَقَدْ يَسَّرْنَا الْقُرْآنَ لِلذِّكْرِ We had made the Quran easy for people. فَهَمِّ مُدَّكِرِ Is there anyone to be reminded of this? I remember I was in Chicago, uh, we were talking about the virtues of memorization of the Qur'an and the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ when he went to Ahl-Sufa, the poor people at the end of the Masjid of the Prophet ﷺ, he told them, who among you would love to go to Al-Aqiq outside of Al-Madina where people make ihram, nine kilometers outside of Al-Madina? Who among you would like to go there and come back with two red camels without severing the relationships, without stealing? And red camels, the best transportation at the time. Like you say to someone, who would like to go nine kilometers or nine miles away, come back with two Mercedes or two BMWs, and they were very poor people, right? They said, we all love to do that, a Prophet of Allah. He said, going to the masjid to learn two verses of the Quran is better than two camels. And three is better than three. And four is better than four. This is their way of life. So we were talking about this, someone that was retired, over 60 years old. And... I came to the same place after maybe, uh, I'm not good with dates, but maybe six months or something like this, or a year or something like that. And he said, remember when, of course I forgot, but he told me that since then I start memorizing. He said, even memorize one line, half a verse, right? But be in the process of memorization and intentions goes beyond one's action. If a person dies while he is in the process of memorizing the Qur'an, he will, be die, he will die by the will of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as someone is in the process of memorizing the Qur'an. He can get the whole reward of memorizing the whole Qur'an. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the most merciful. Because he's intended to finish the Qur'an. Right? Even if it's one word a day. He said, I've been doing this and I finished Surah Al-Baqarah. He finished Surah Al-Baqarah. This was maybe three, four years ago. I, I was there a few months ago. He finished 10 Jews. And he is going. And he's now, he's, he was, you see the joy in his face. He has, there's meanings to his life. He's busy with the Qur'an and memorizing the Qur'an. And it's by, The most beloved deeds to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, 
the ones that are done in a persistent manner, even if it's small, right? But the key is to be persistent. So halakha of the Qur'an in the masjid for grown-ups and everyone, to learn just two, three words. You don't even have to finish the whole ayah, right? But to take the Qur'an serious in our life. So the masjid and how to do this, according to the masjid of the Prophet ﷺ, we need to, the masjid is like our homes. We have our homes that we stay in and we're comfortable in, and the masajid. The, the communities that come to the masjid, the children, the masjid is part of their, there's no day passes without coming to the masjid, it doesn't work. It's like having a fish outside the water, it doesn't work that bad for a believer, how can they retain their iman? And then, the third environment, that if we choose to put them in school, right, and not homeschool them, we are responsible. Who are the ones that are teaching them? What are they being taught? Who are their friends? And what's the environment that they're in? Some people, when they talk about public schools and so on, and they say, MashaAllah, there's no, nothing wrong with that in that area or other areas. It's safe, it's not too dangerous, there's no drugs, there's no this and that. It's not about the drugs, it's not about the, that the, someone will come to your child and say, disbelieve in Allah and take drugs. And It's not like this. It's about what the child is watching. What he is relating to this when he is contradicting now the things that he see at home in the masjid. Right? That what he's been seeing and so on, it's something else than religion. That's not religion. Right? And he's been taught that this dunya runs itself by itself. Right? And the words that are being said and the environment and the people are being away from sin of forgetfulness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is so dangerous. And we choose to put those who are young and they interact like this and their hearts is like a sponge. We put them in such an environment and then we come later on and we complain that they are falling into you know, different means of haram and so on. Because we are the ones that put them in this predicament that it's contradicting, it's tearing them apart. So Islamic schools, and, and please don't be upset with me if I say this, Islamic schools, this is not a luxury thing in, 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 in the communities that we live in. This is something mandatory. Otherwise, homeschooling, and homeschooling by the way actually is very successful. People do it seriously, right? But if we don't, then we don't have a choice. We are responsible. This is not an optional thing. That means if the if people would complain, uh, Islamic schools are not as good as uh, financially and this and that, then where is our responsibilities? Communities, if it becomes there's no choice for them to go to the public school, then things will be better and things will be good. And again, we're talking about Islamic schools, not necessarily that your child become a alim. The whole ummah doesn't have to be ulama. Right? MashaAllah, this is the greatest thing a person can do. But this is not really the goal that every child, he becomes a scholar in the religion. But the least thing that has to be done, there's no contradiction. They see what they hear and they hear what they see, right? Even if there's no religion, it's being taught. We have, and this, this is why when we have problems and deficiencies in Muslim teachers, a person should take it upon himself to get teaching certificates and so on. So that the, the, the actions and the way of the teacher, he goes to the salah and he speaks the truth and he teach, right? There's no, this is at least in their years of their upbringing so that they have this immunization when they would face, whatever they face, they have the steadfastness. So uh, I hope I didn't take too long of, of your time, but really the sidq or the truthfulness that we stay away from contradicting ourselves and having the children to be uh, tear the apart in, in, in these types of contradictions, it's a mandatory thing. Otherwise, then saving the religion is the most important thing in our life. The dunya has no value. If it's Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, and I will end by this, 
uh, about those who refused to migrate with the Prophet and they were oppressed, right? In the The angels will take their soul, will ask them, Where have you been? They said, We were oppressed in the land. The angels will tell them, Wasn't the earth of Allah vast enough for you to migrate to it? These people are punished. Right? Although they were oppressed, but they had the means. Unless there were women and children, they could not go. So the point is to say, what can we do? Right? There's no excuse for us. If we have the means to change our situations, by the will of Allah, the matter is easy. We have the means, mashallah, and things. We have the freedom to have our schools and to teach our children the values that we believe in and so on. Then if we turn away, then we should not blame anyone but ourselves if the consequences is not according to what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants from us. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to protect our families and to protect our children and to protect ourselves and to make us all among the people of Jannah and the way that we're gathered here in one of the houses of Allah that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gathers us in the day of judgment with the Prophet alayhi salatu wassalam أقول قولي هذا بصرف الله عظيم لي وعليكم وصلى الله وسلم على محمد وعلى صحبه وسلم سبحانك اللهم ربنا وبحمدك نشهد أن لا إله إلا أنت أستغفرك وأتوب إليك جزاك الله خير. السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته جزاك الله I think just to like to thank Sheikh Zaidan again and I think everybody we introduced him before the Juma but Sheikh Zaidan is from Saint Louis. And he's actively involved with one of the Islamic schools there, and uh, he's also a scholar. So I think I'll just—we don't have much time before Isha, so I'll open up for like maybe questions for about five or seven minutes. And inshallah, I think we'll have Isha prayer, and then we'll go down into the uh, our uh, downstairs area, and there we'll discuss about the expansion project. Inshallah, immediately after the Isha prayers. So I request everyone to. Uh, please uh, stay up and participate and come down immediately, inshallah, after the Isha prayers. We'll discuss about the expansion project downstairs. So now I think for five or seven minutes, inshallah, we'll benefit from the Sheikh. And if anyone has any questions, uh, please feel free to ask. <coughs> mentioned in the Quran about eating pork. When is it mandatory even to eat? If it's a matter of life and death. A person, he would say, Wallahi, by the means that I see, I will die. Unless I would take these few bites of what is haram to sustain my life. It is not permissible for him to take, to eat till he's full only to sustain his life if he is a matter of life and death. So if it's a matter of life and death, that's what makes haram halal. If it makes it difficult for the person, and that's why in the in the Shara and Sulfiq, 
there's major difference between al-darura and al-haja. Al-darura is the necessity, life and death. Your, your arm will be cut off, you will die, this and that, the sword is on your neck. Then it's even permissible to say the word of kufr. Why? Because otherwise you would lose your life. And this is darura, right? Al-haja is that people confuse them both. Al-haja means that if you don't do the haram, your life would be extremely difficult. But you can still sustain your life. But your life would be extremely difficult. That does not make what is haram halal. Understand? So for example, someone, he doesn't have a place to live. And the only way for him is to take a loan. Right? River loan. Right? Otherwise, what? What's the options? The option is, he can go, if this is really true, which is not, it's not really true. It becomes mandatory for the Muslims to help him, zakah, whatever, you know, that it takes. But say, for example, there is no means whatsoever, he can go anywhere where he can live without riba. Right? He can go to, uh, you know, many countries in the world that can live without, I'm not, you know, just saying that, you know, one time, and forgive me for this, uh, after 9-11, an Egyptian brother came to me and he said, my wife, uh, she takes the children to school and I'm worried that with her hijab she might get hurt. So can she take off her hijab to, you know, be able to go back and forth? And he's from Egypt, right? And I know the brother and I'm from Egypt. So I looked at him, I said, if it's truly what you're saying is true, and it wasn't like that actually, but if what you're saying is true, go back to Egypt. You have a house there and... What is forcing you to live in a life like to disobey Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? He looked at me like, am I crazy? What do, do I work in Egypt? Is this how our life is? The point is, you can still live here and you can, she can still have the hijab if it's something that happened to one or two or three. If the life is a little bit difficult and you have to take them, yes, we have to be patient, that's deen. But to commit haram, right, this is not an easy thing. And if the person has an, an alternative, then it's not permissible. In each case, is unique and that's why a person has to have a verdict for himself only from someone and that's why if the alim give a verdict to someone it is not to be generalized maybe that person yes he does not have means to go anywhere and he will be thrown in the streets and that's that's different situation but that's only that one person and not everyone you know when you speak about the contradictions uh, the kids and the youth and you know all of us we see the contradiction when we see the violence happening in Islamic countries no. by Muslims, you know, and how do you reconcile that? No. It's very good. Uh, they see the contradictions among the Muslims, right? Whether it's the violence or even with our relationships, even in one masjid, you find lies or bad behavior, whatever there is. Uh, this is something that they have to have some immunization to, to this. And, and we have to tell them that Islam is one thing and people are, some people are good, some people are bad. So we need to be the best and we're tested. And if we make a mistake, we repent to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Uh, but why the situations of the Muslims nowadays is like this? Because they turn away from the deen. Because they're disobedient to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is not what Islam says. And this is the test of life. They follow the shaitan. And really, the, the concept of the shaitan is something that is mentioned in the Quran. Shaitan would not go to some disbelievers to mess with them. They're doing his job. He will come to those who uh, they're taking the right path to make it difficult for them. So explaining to them and to be patient with them with their questions and so on, uh, that, uh, you know, that this is not the deen of Islam, this is our weaknesses. And each and every one, we have weaknesses, 
but it varies of course. So, and we have to be patient. But again, with the kids being exposed to certain environments, it sometimes it's not that we expose them to be healthy, but they would see the contradictions, but for them not to have it. Uh, you have the story of the sorcerer and the boy and the king, the famous story. The, the boy was in a very evil environment. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala guided him. Yusuf alayhi salam, Yusuf alayhi salam after he was taken away from his father. He was raised in the house of the Aziz of Misr, which is all evil things, right, happened to him. He was in prison with criminals, right? Bad environment. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala chose for him to be guided. So it's not necessarily that if he's in the bad environment, he will be misguided. Guidance is in the hands of Allah. It's really about the ones that would choose to put them in the bad environment. The child, he can be saved by the will of Allah. But the parent, he would be questioned, why did you put them there or here or this? So it's really the responsibilities of the parents. And after all, you can take all the means. Nuh his son, was a disbeliever. Guidance is in the hands of Allah. So it's tough. We're, t- we're living at times of fitr, times of tribulations. And that's why we have to uh, make dua. And one of the things that I forgot to say is the dua. The dua, the dua constantly to make dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to give us the fastness and our children. Because at the end, guidance is in the hands of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah give you I have a question about the camp. Hmm. In my country, everybody has camp. Without cap, the pay is not okay in my country. But here I see only three people. Is there any benefit or this? Right. Uh, the issue of the cap or covering the head during the salah, it's a fact that the Prophet would make salah with his head covered. But he never said, pray with your head covered. And if you don't pray with your head covered, your salah is not valid or deficient or whatever there is. Uh, the, that's why some of the ulama, when they say it is recommended, to cover your head in the salah, but the Prophet did not choose to have his head uncovered and then once he started the salah, he covers his head. This was his norm. He would come from home, his head is covered, so he would join the salah with his head is covered. Uh, but to do it like, you know, the heads in the masjid, where people just put it for the salah, it's not from the way the Prophet So in that case, a person should pray with his norm, with his head uncovered, and that's absolutely fine. It does not take away from uh, the words of Salawallahu A'lam, although some of the ulama they said it's a good thing, it's a recommend, it's not like a sinful thing to not to do it, but it's definitely a recommended thing that a person would get rewards if he come from his home with his head covered, then he joined the salah with his head covered and so on, as a way of imitating the Prophet. But praying without the head covered is absolutely permissible. Uh, the salah can be perfect like this by the will of Allah. No. How about putting a shot? Coming to prayer with with shorts. Now, coming to the prayer with short pants. You know, as the aura for men is from the navel to the knees, right? And adding to this in the salah that something should be on the shoulders. Like a person, if he wears a short to cover his navel and it's below his knees, he should not just come to the masjid like that without anything on top to make salah. Something has to be on the shoulders. So if the shorts, when a person is standing and when a person is making ruku', when a person is making sujood and in tashahud, has to be at all these positions, uh, covering the knees, right, and not having anything uh, uncovered. If something from the aura is uncovered, for a, a period of time in the salah, that invalidates the salah. Uh, and that's why if someone comes like this, it's very important that sometimes people would, might walk in like this. We should not uh, deal with them with harshness, right, in a very nice way. Uh, if there's things, you know, uh, even in the masjid for them to... Uh, to wear so, so that we, they don't, you know, don't come up back again to the masjid. We have to make sure that we're kind to them. 
It's a great thing if, if anybody who comes to the masjid. Now. Uh, last one, uh, last question, Chef. I think you already covered. Like weekend school, like only Sunday school. Will is that enough, or will that complement Islamic education of a community? What is your opinion? I think you already covered in it, but just to summarize your opinion. Well, like, uh, for me to be honest, even if someone might get upset with me, but this is Deen and this is Amana. Allah Subhanahu wa Taala will ask us in the day of judgment. Uh, Sunday schools to me only. Sunday schools, mashallah, is great and it should continue. But to think that we're doing our responsibility by just having the kids to come to Sunday school uh, so that we don't feel that we're uh, doing something wrong, this is a big mistake. Sunday alone does not work. Saturday and Sunday does not only work. It's increased the contradiction. doesn't mean that we take them away from the Sunday school. At least something is happening, mashallah. We hope for the mercy of Allah. But this is not the solution. The solution is that the whole schooling system has to be a healthy environment or to the best of our ability, healthy environment so that they don't fall into the contradiction. Uh, it brings a very important thing is if the contradiction comes, some people would choose to, okay, take them out of the Sunday school, take them away from the masjid so that they don't get some, you know, mental problems, you know, the contradiction. This is even worse and worse, of course, as we know. So, so uh, whatever a person can do, you should, if a person still continue to choose to put their child in whatever bad environment, at least bring them for the Sunday school and Saturday school and make dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that again this is not the ideal situation. ومن اللقين ما تهون به علينا مصائب الدنيا ومتعنا الله من أسماعنا وأصارنا وقوتنا أبدا ما أقيتنا واجعله الوارث منا واجعل ثأرنا على من ظلمنا وانصرنا على من عدانا ولا تجعل مصيبتنا في ديننا ولا تجعل الدنيا أكبر همنا ولا ما بلغ علمنا ولا تسلط علينا بذنوبنا من لا يخافك فينا ولا رحمة There was one question and it's absolutely fine inshallah Is it compulsory to women to cover their feet during salah? Uh, without going into the differences of opinions because the jumhur of the ulama, the majority of the ulama are in the opinion and this is the correct opinion Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best that while the woman is standing in the salah her foot should be covered uh, meaning if she doesn't have to wear socks but if she's wearing the, the dress is long enough that when she's standing the foot is covered and in sujood the bottom of her foot is exposed no problem but as long as when she's standing right, the foot is covered this is Mandatory. Allah. And if it's short a little bit, then socks can be in place. Uh, again, uh, just